Who likes saying goodbye? Anybody like saying goodbye? Nobody likes goodbyes? Well, however I said it, who likes saying goodbye to certain people in certain situations? There we go. All right. Some of you are already thinking Thanksgiving's this week, and I'm already thinking about Friday saying goodbye. I'm already there. Maybe you like saying goodbye to certain seasons in your life, right? Have you ever been into November of a year thinking you're ready to say goodbye to that year? You know what I'm saying? Like saying goodbye. Some people say goodbye differently than other people. Have you ever been going in for a handshake to say goodbye and they lean in and give you a hug and you have the awkward hand in the middle of your hug? Or you have the guy who always gives you the bro hug, the handshake and then do the pat around the back kind of thing. Uh, Or somebody who says, you know, some phrase they always say when it's time for goodbye. Whether it's just goodbye or see you later or, or, you know, have fun out there or see you next time or or, uh, whatever it may be. Well, I had a friend some years ago and this guy... Uh, he, <laughs> he took it upon himself to try to introduce phrases into um, American culture. Uh, that's, that's what he thought was his role in the world. For instance, there was one phrase that he tried to introduce that never really took off, but uh, he, he, when something was, was cool or he thought something was really great, he would start saying, well, that's dripping. And he'd always do his hand, that's dripping. And it never took off, even though he tried it and tried, he tried it for years. It never really went anywhere. And we, we tried to get him to stop, but he wouldn't stop. But there was another one that he swore up and down he made up. I know for a fact he did not. But he swore up and down that he made up, and it was his goodbye phrase. He said it if he said goodbye in person. He said it if he said goodbye over the phone. It was, all, it was I'll see you when I see you. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Well, you can thank my friend for that phrase. Hey. I told him, I said, you are dead. You did not make that up. I heard that years ago before I even met you, before you could even talk. He said, I'll see you when I see you. That was, just, that was his catch. I mean, he said it always. Even if he was just going in the other room to get a drink, I'll see you when I see you. That's just what he said. Until one time, I was talking to him on the phone. He had called me. Uh, he was in college at the time, and uh, I was working on staff at a church, and he was Going, he was in college to be a minister. He was going to school to be a minister, and he was giving his first sermon the next day. And he called me and was kind of preaching it to me over the phone. And uh, we were talking about it. And at the end of it, I was expecting to hear what he always said, I'll see you when I see you. But this time was different. This time, he said, Josh. I said, yeah. He says, I love you. And it caught me off guard. First off, he's never ended a conversation that way. Secondly, he'd never said that before to me. And I said, hey, man, I love you too. I mean, I, I do. And, and he said, all right, great. And I said, I'll be praying for you in the morning when you give your sermon. And we hung up. And what's so powerful about that, he went to be with Jesus three weeks later. Last words in goodbyes carry a lot of weight that you may not even realize it at the time. And here today, we're taking a look at the very end of the book of Romans. This is a book, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians who lived in Rome. And it did two things. It it, kind of outlined what the Christian belief system was supposed to be, and it it, it gave them practical things uh, uh, that they should be living out in their lives, all based on one theme he mentioned all the way in Romans chapter 1. He said, walk by faith. Well, then we get here to Romans chapter 15. 
And he's wrapping it up. He's getting ready to say his goodbye. And these are his last instructions before he gives his goodbye. The next time he's going to see these people, he's going to be in chains under arrest in Rome, going to uh, court. And so he's writing this, and this is his, his goodbye here. It, there is chapter 16, and chapter 16 is a bunch of names. He says, this guy says hi to that guy in Rome, and I know I, I'm, I'm going to say to this guy, to this guy, and this guy, hi, I hope you all are doing good, and, and this guy who's with me says hi to you, and there's one little phrase in the middle of all that. He says, and y'all just don't fight with each other, and then he says, goodbye, I'll see you when I see you. But here, Romans 15, he's wrapping up the entire book of Romans and giving his goodbye to the people. And what we're going to see today is what he says to them in his goodbye and why it's so powerful in that. So Romans chapter 15, let's start in verse 18. Paul writes, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So take a minute for a second, and look at what he says. He says, in, 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 in speaking, I will not venture, I will not be so bold as to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He says, I, the only thing that I feel qualified to say, and which is very interesting, I mean, this is Paul. Paul was a very highly educated guy. Paul went to the highest of education you could go in that day. He knew a lot of stuff. He was very, very knowledgeable. But even in all his knowledge, he says, I am only qualified to say my story. All that other stuff that I know, that, that's great and everything. But he says, I'm only qualified to say what God's worked through me. I can expound on all this other stuff, but, but what really matters is what Christ has done through me. And he's giving us an example in explaining this, that we need to be talking about our testimony. We need to be telling our story. Stories are written to be told, not to be written and locked away. Stories are written to be told. And, and your story is written not to simply get to the end of it, not to simply get to the next chapter of your story or the next season in your story. Your story is written in your life to be told, to be and communicated as he did what Christ has accomplished through you. We have to remember, though, in, in that God is the author of our stories. I'm not the author of my story. God is. I'm one of the main characters, but I'm not the author. He's the hero of the story in my life, not me. He's the hero, and he's writing it. And so am I going to participate in the story he's writing, or am I going to you know, detour and take my own, choose my own ending, choose my own adventure kind of story, or am I going to follow his outline and what he has planned? And when I follow what he has planned, then am I going to communicate to other people the story that he's writing in me, telling his story in me? So we have to tell, my, you have to tell your story that God is writing in you. Tell your story of what God is accomplishing through you. Paul says, I speak, I don't speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. A lot of times, though, we're not really observant enough. We don't take the time to observe all that God is doing through us. Maybe this isn't you, maybe it's just me that I go about my life 
in the busyness and in the to-do list and in the schedule and don't really take a moment to observe, well, that was God's hand in that moment. Well, that was God's orchestration to bring me in, 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 you know, in that person's past so we could talk, so I could pray here, so I could do that, so that person could be encouraging in this moment, or so that I did not have a wreck on the highway. God orchestrated this issue here. A lot of times we don't observe in that way. We, we again, I'm speaking for you, I'll just say me. <laughs> A lot of times when I look at my life and my story and what's going on during the day, I'm very self-absorbed in that. I think, you know, I'm going about my day and doing my thing and don't really pay attention to God's hand in the moment. I feel very alone. Anybody with me in that? Anybody with me? A couple of you? Okay, five. I will meet, the five of us need to form a, a, a support group. Uh, everybody else can do their own thing. But Paul's saying, it's not about me, it's about what Christ has accomplished through me. But he says to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word. And he wants God to work through him so that he can accomplish something great. And so it would be a good challenge, especially this week with Thanksgiving being this week, if you just took the next few days leading up to Thanksgiving and would post something about God's working in you these next few days. Post it you know, in word or video, just say, God's working in me, and, you know, even use a hashtag, tell the story God is writing, and, and just talked about what God has done, and it can be something simple, even about the time you woke up in the morning, and why you woke up in the morning, what God was able to do because you woke up at that specific time, or maybe you got irritated because a kid crawled in your bed last night with a knee in your back, that's my testimony today, anybody with me, <laughs> and but God can work in that, and what is God's purpose in that? Are we more annoyed because of the interruptions we have, or are we observant because God has allowed the, the interruptions to bring us to a point of observance for his glory and his purpose? So tell the story of what God is accomplishing through you. But notice at the end of that verse, and we're gonna, this is going to go right into verse 19. He starts a list here. He says, he only tells what Christ has accomplished through me for this purpose, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And this is how he tells what Christ accomplished through him. By word and deed, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now look at that. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Who in here can say you have fulfilled God's purpose for you? That is a bold claim, right? I mean, can you say, I, okay, if I did a, a, an audit of my life, I can say, man, I did everything God wanted me to do. I fulfilled God's purpose for me. I can't say that. But here Paul is writing it so that, you know, hundreds of generations of people all the way up to us can read this and say, man, he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. That's, that's, that's crazy to think about. But you see what he did. He speaks by word, by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that combined. Now, the first few there are all relied on him, the things that he did and that God used through him in his ministry Word, deed, things he said, things he did. It says, by the power of signs and wonders. Now, those words are unique. Signs are, are, are events with special meanings. 
events with special meanings behind them. Wonders are events that uh, are kind of previews of something to come, like a prophecy about something to come. And this was going on in his life, in his ministry. Being in the Spirit, as that next part, he says, by the power of the Spirit, God accomplished these things. So he was available to speak in word, in deed, in signs, and in wonders, and the power of the Spirit came so that all the way around that he went, telling people about Jesus, doing whatever God wanted him to do. Now, what's interesting, too, is, is you don't really see a lot. You say, well, Paul, that was his job, to be a missionary. No, Paul's job, his career, was to be a tent maker. You don't see that a lot in Scripture. Some of us know it in the back of our minds because he makes some, one offhand comment about it one time. But that was his career. But his purpose was telling people about Jesus. And he used that in every aspect of his life, even his career, even as he went to the store to buy food. He, he, he fulfilled his purpose everywhere. In these ways, he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. That, that literally means fulfilling the gospel, which means telling the gospel. He participated by word, deed, signs, wonders, with the power of the Spirit. So his participation with the power of the Spirit accomplished something phenomenal, fulfilled his purpose, fulfilled the ministry that God assigned for him. But fulfilling your purpose has more to do with the power of the Spirit flowing through you than it does any other decision you make. Now, it, it, fulfilling your purpose has more to do with the presence of the Spirit than it does your career choice, than it does what you study in school, than it does what's on your to-do list tomorrow. Now, the power of the Spirit in fulfilling your purpose can be used in all of those areas. Those areas can be used as tools to fulfill your purpose in Christ. You can fulfill your purpose at your job, at school, at, at, at Walmart, but your purpose isn't your job. Your purpose isn't your school. Your purpose isn't to build up your retirement so you're comfortable in the future. Your purpose is in Christ. And so that's how Paul can say, I fulfilled my purpose. Even though he still has to work as a tent maker, he's fulfilled his purpose because his purpose is in Christ and not his bank account. His purpose is in Christ. He participates in the work Christ has for him, and the power of the Spirit comes alongside him and works through him and accomplishes something phenomenal. But the key word in that thought is participates. He participates. He participates. We have to choose to invite the Spirit into our lives by increasing his influence and participating with the Spirit in our lives. And so you must increase the Spirit's influence. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. He's with you. Scripture promises us this, that he's given, us, he's given uh, to us as a guarantee of heaven, as a preview almost of what's to come. We get the presence of the Spirit, God's very Spirit within us. So when we walk into heaven, we get God's very Spirit presence almost in a physical sense in heaven, even though God is spirit and not physical. And so we get the spirit, but 
we're not guaranteed the fullness of the Spirit at every single moment of our lives. That is dependent upon our faith in the moment. We allow, even though the Spirit is within us, we can allow the Spirit to have greater influence than other things in our lives. Or we can diminish the Spirit's influence and rely on other outside influences to direct our paths and guide our thought processes on what we think is best, on what our friends say uh, is best, or what our parents say is best, or what's been instilled in us is best, but what has been instilled in us is best may not be the Spirit's purpose for us. It may be that he's using all of those voices in our lives, but it may, may very well be that the Spirit wants us to walk a path that's according to God's purpose and not anyone else's purpose for us. Their expectations may be different than God's path, God's journey he set us on. And we have to listen to the Spirit, increase the Spirit's influence in us. In us. And his level of influence is set by my level of trust. In Jesus. His level of influence is set by my level of trust. Do I really trust the Spirit to direct my path? Or do I trust the mental spreadsheet I've, uh, I've made about the decision I've got to make by Friday after Thanksgiving? I put up a pro list, I put up a con list in my mind of what's the best and what's the worst and how to make this decision, but I haven't really con consulted the Spirit. I threw, you know, I threw a prayer up at the ceiling hoping it would go, but not really paying attention to what God wants to say to me. I just said the words and didn't listen to it. If God had anything to say back, I just said the words, God, give me direction, and I went about and did what I was going to do anyway. If we do that, then the prayer doesn't mean anything. We're just making ourselves feel good. If we're going to pray and ask for the Spirit's guidance and increase his influence, that means we have to listen to him. we got to listen. Say, well, how do I know what the Spirit sounds like? How do you know what anybody sounds like? You spend time with them. You spend time with them. And then when they call, I mean, you remember before caller ID? And people would call and they would say hello, and you knew by the sound of their hello who they were before they said their name? Because you've spent time with them. You recognize their voice from the time you spend. And so the more time you spend in the Spirit, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you will recognize his voice. You recognize his voice and he will guide you and you will increase his influence and your life will be changed. And so you, you spend time with him in Scripture and in prayer. And you listen. Now I talked about this earlier in the year, but one of the hardest disciplines in spiritual disciplines in our lives will be to listen in prayer. I give you a challenge. Challenge. You want to try it this afternoon? Try it in the morning? Try, before you say any words to God, try for 10 minutes to say nothing and listen to what he says. The 10 minutes, that's easy. Until you get in it, try for five. Try for 60 seconds. Your mind's going to go 15,000 directions. Phone's going to buzz. Some animal outside is going to make a noise. Some kid's going to make a noise. It's going to be the hardest 60 seconds of your life. You're going to look at your watch thinking, man, is it time? It's only been 15 seconds. But try it. And the reason the enemy will bring all those sounds to mess you up is because God speaking to us is one of the most powerful tools we have. And he doesn't want you to hear God's voice. He doesn't want you to hear it at all, at all. 
That's why sometimes you can, you can do you know, your Bible reading and you can get to the end of it and go about your day and you get to noon and you read that morning at seven and you don't remember anything you read at seven. It just went in your eyeballs and, and popped out the back of your head because Satan wants us to not pay attention to God's voice. He'll do everything to distract you. And so increasing the Spirit's influence means listening to him, listening to him. Look down at verse 30. So Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive, to strive, that means to work with someone with severe effort, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he's asking that they pray with him, that they strive in prayer, severe effort in prayer. Now, I mean, if I were to confess to you, a lot of my prayers aren't severe effort. I mean, just be transparent. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's not. I'm not striving in prayer. Sometimes I get into prayer almost as muscle memory of what I prayed last time, and then I catch myself and I'm convicted in the moment. He says, strive with me. Severe effort in prayer. So that God can do much. So that God will will intervene on my behalf. Look at what he says in verse 31. This is what he's praying for. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. May the God of peace be with you. So he prays, he wants them to pray, to strive in prayer, with severe effort in prayer, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers. Now you say, Paul, isn't Paul supposed to be ministering to the unbelievers? Yes. But he wants to be delivered from the people who want to kill him. Because he's going into their, to the lion's den to tell people about Jesus, to minister to the people of Jerusalem. And so he says, help pray that I will not be killed before I tell those people about Jesus. And pray that the people I tell will will hear what I'm saying and will believe the words that are coming from my mouth. And then he says, I will come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now he ties the joy and refreshment to the peace of God in the next verse. So may the God of peace be with you all. And that very same phrase he mentions in his final instruction in the following chapter, verse 20 of chapter 16. He says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, the God of peace will do crushing, will crush, will break, will shatter, will destroy Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, what's interesting about that, before we jump back into verse, uh, chapter 15, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The only way that Satan can be crushed under somebody's feet is if they're taking a step. You're standing still, nothing's going to be crushed. You've got to be moving for something to be crushed. You've got to lift up your foot for something to be crushed. You've got to be active for something to be crushed. And, and Paul's mindset and what he's saying that in working towards what God has for you, 
the enemy will be crushed. And what he's praying in chapter 15 is that as he is ministering to the people of Jerusalem and their prayers are being answered, the believers' prayers are being answered, and he's not being killed as he's ministering and as he's telling people about Jesus, the enemy is being crushed because God's word is being spread through his ministry. And so he says, then I will come and then I will be refreshed. Now, look at the progression of this entire passage we've looked at. So all the way back up in verse 18 of chapter 15, Paul says that he's going to speak the gospel. Then he says that having, having, spoke, having spoken the gospel, he will fulfill the gospel. He fulfilled the gospel, spoke the gospel, fulfilled the gospel. And, and he's asking as he goes and continues to speak the gospel and fulfill the gospel that they will strive with him in prayer. So the striving in prayer empowers the, the gospel fulfillment and the gospel work. So strive with him in prayer. And then it says that he seeks refreshment through peace. He seeks refreshment through peace. So he seeks refreshment through peace. And the peace will help his prayer and, and empower his prayer, help him to strive, and the prayer will then empower his, his, his uh, speaking of the gospel, which will fulfill his purpose. But there must be peace there, refreshment there. Has anybody ever experienced 100% refreshment? About what I thought. 100% refreshed. 100%. Refreshed. Now, this idea of refreshment isn't just a New Testament concept that Jesus brings up. I mean, this is all the way back in, in 2 Samuel. Uh, David was experiencing a terrible situation. He had family turning on him, trying to kill him. He had his best friends turning on him, trying to kill him. He, he was just walking down the road one day, and this guy comes out of his house and just starts yelling at him and screaming at him what a bad person he is. And it says David's going through this season of difficulty. But then at the end of that chapter, I think it's, uh, second, it says in my notes, 2 Samuel 16, he gets to a place, having been through all of that, and it says he refreshed himself. How did he do that? How did he do that? How did he refresh himself? How here in Romans 15 does Paul talk about being refreshed? Being refreshed. Well, that word literally means, Paul's use of the word here, literally means to experience restorative rest together. To experience restorative rest, restorative rest. It restores, the idea being, to complete capacity all the way up. Fill it up all the way. Not just a little bit, all the way. Now, we often think of certain ideas when it comes to refreshment, or at least I do. I think of, you know, a refreshing time. I think of, like, vacation. And that just pops, you know, vacation is refreshing. But then I start to think, vacation's not refreshing. We got five kids. Vacation's stressful and exhausting. And you get home and think, I need a vacation for my vacation, but I don't want a vacation because vacation's hard. Anybody with me? Yeah? Or you look at TV and you see it on commercials, Right? You see, drinks are refreshing. You see the guy take a drink and he goes, ah. You think, man, that's refreshing. But then you start thinking about the word refreshing. Well, a drink's not really refreshing. I mean, I guess it can be in a sense. It you know, restores a little bit, but, I mean, makes me feel good for a, a moment. I can, you know, after working out in the yard, I need a little bit of water. I feel, you know, a little better having drink, you know, drunk the water. But it doesn't you know, bring me 
to full, you know, being refreshed in this idea. He's talking about fully restored as he's talking about. Now, here's the thing of what refreshment is. I'm going to give you a definition. You ready? Definition of refreshment based on Scripture. These Scriptures we've looked at and the original meaning of the word. Refreshment is being able to gather yourself back up after a time of wear and tear and then stepping forward into whatever God has for you at full strength and awareness. So being able to gather yourself up after a season of wear and tear to full strength and awareness, to full strength, full strength and awareness, not just a little bit, and then you can step forward into whatever God has for you. And what refreshment does is, as we backtrack or backtrace the, Paul's progression in this passage, refreshment reestablishes peace. And the presence of peace then provides the power of trust and the power of faith. But the problem is, and here's the issue, at least with me, I only take an occasional sip of refreshment. I don't take a, a big swig. I don't take a big gulp. I just take a little sip of refreshment. Just a little bit. It's like, got an image for you here. Got a liter of water right there. A liter of water. I heard a sermon one time by uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Man can preach the paint off the walls. But he was talking, he was preaching, and he'd been going for like 45 minutes, and he still had another 45 minutes. And he says, this is a, uh, this is a two-glass sermon. He would judge... <laughs> In his mind, he, he determined how powerful the sermon was by how much water he needed because of how much energy he expended. Uh, and so this, this, is a, this is a one liter sermon. Here we go. But if I need refreshment and I need a little bit, and man, that's a lot. A liter's a lot. I'll have to go to the bathroom a lot this afternoon. A liter is a lot of water. I say, man, I need, I need that. I can feel it. I'm parched. Even, to, even just thinking about the water, I, my mouth gets even more dry than it already was. And I think, okay, I need some water. I just, okay, there we go. I know I've got access to this liter of water, but there we go. One, no. Man, that's refreshing. And that's what we do, right? That's what we do. We got access to, to refreshment. And we take a drop, a drop of all the refreshment God has for us. And remember, the progression we just saw, refreshment provides peace. Peace provides power that fuels the prayer, and the prayer fuels our purpose. Fuels our purpose. But if there's no peace, then our mind is scattered in 15,000 different directions, and we're not aware of where God wants us to go and what God wants us to do, and we're too busy listening to the influence of so many other voices, we never hear the Spirit's voice because we have no peace. We must have refreshment. Paul says to these guys in Rome, guys, it's on my way. I'm coming to be refreshed. I've got to go and tell these people about Jesus, and then I'm coming, and I need refreshment desperately. I need refreshment from you. I need to be refreshed. It's like, it's like going to the gas station and just putting in a dollar of gas. It may get you to your next destination, but you're not going to be able to go the distance. It may get you from the gas station to Walmart, but you're not getting home on a dollar. Good thing Walmart's got a gas station. You fill up, get a little fill up again, get another dollar, I can get back. 
That's what we do. I mean, we go and we just get a little sip of refreshment, a little sip here, a little sip there, a little sip here, and it just gets us to the next thing, but we're never at full capacity, and we're too busy running on empty and, and, and missing what God's placed before us. We, we, we almost wear running on empty like a badge of honor on our chest. Well, it's, you've got it bad, but I got it worse. Man, my life is hard. You, you don't even know all the troubles I've seen. You don't even know the sorrows. Paul says he doesn't list out his problems, and I tell you, he's got a lot. What does he do? He says pray. Pray, granting access to the refreshment and the peace that comes from God. This refreshment, you say, okay, we're talking in general terms. Well, here, I'm going to give you three practical steps to gain refreshment right now. Three. Now, you, you got to do all three to be refreshed. You can't get one out of three and be refreshed. You get one out of three and you'll feel good for a time, but the refreshment won't be there. You get two out of three, you won't be refreshed either. You say, well, I'm two out of three, two-thirds. I'm making a D. I'm good to go. Well, two out of three won't get you to refreshment. You got to have all three. Because that's the way God designed us, as we're going to see. So three steps for refreshment from Scripture. Number one, number one, it's in the definition of the word, rest. 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 God did not design us to constantly run on empty. Constantly, you, you know, this is totally, this isn't even in my notes. The guys in the, the people in the history of the world, men, women, who've accomplished the most in science, in government, who carried entire countries on their back through war. You know what they did? Every one of them, they, were two, they did two things. Number one, they read a lot. Number two, they took naps took naps. Winston Churchill, in the middle of World War II, with London getting bombed, would cut the meeting off because he's got to go take a nap. Naps, rest. He understood. Just as Robert Ludlum wrote, sleep is a weapon. And the enemy wants to take that from us so he can use it against us and beat us down with it so that we're constantly tired and constantly missing out. We look forward to the day when I'll sleep when I'm dead. I look forward to not being tired in heaven. Well, we know from John chapter 17 that eternal life begins the moment you believe in Jesus, not when you die. And so if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life now, so you can experience that rest now. And so the first step towards refreshment comes in Three steps, or three, three steps here, but the first step, rest, is in two forms. Number one is sleep. Sleep. God designed us, our bodies, to need certain amount of sleep. Different ones of us need different amounts. But if you wake up tired, you're not getting enough. If you get halfway through the day and you're tired, you're not getting enough. You need sleep. But number two is one that may be just as hard. Pace. Pace. To get rest, you need sleep, and you need to have God's pace in your life. God's pace, not my pace. You say, but there's not enough hours in the day. Everybody's got the same amount of hours in the day. Well, I got too much to do. Well, 
I got, I got too much to do on my priority list. I'll tell you a phrase that we need to stop saying is I don't have enough time. I'll tell you why. You say, I don't have enough time to do that. No, you're actually in that moment, you're making a decision not to do that. You're choosing something else over that. And so what we should say, at least in our mind, is, well, I'm choosing not to do that because I'm doing this. It's not that I don't have enough time. It's that I'm choosing not to do that thing, that I would rather do this, that I would rather do this thing. It's not that I would rather do it, but you're choosing to do that. So in reality, by choosing to do that, you'd rather do that than do this other thing. We're choosing to do some things over other things. And we're putting different things in our priority than what God has designed to be there. We need to change our pace a little bit. Change our pace a little bit. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the world, who came to earth to die for our sins and then raise from the dead. That's a pretty important job, I would say. Probably more important than any of our jobs. <laughs> and yet, when you see Jesus on his final you know, journey to Jerusalem to be crucified, he's going to Jerusalem for the last time. You know what you see? You see two things. Number one, you don't see him hurrying. It never says he hurried. You know what it always says? He walked. And you know the other thing that Jesus did on that journey to Jerusalem? He allowed himself to be interrupted everywhere. On the side of the road, when he got into town, when he left town. I mean, I just look at Jericho. Jericho was, was right before you get to Jerusalem. And he gets to Jericho, and, and the scripture says he's interrupted as he's walking into town, and they mess up his schedule. He's interrupted in town, and then when he's walking out of town, there's these other guys who want to be healed, and he's messed up on walking out of town. If I'm Jesus, which is a good thing I'm not, I'm thinking, guys, I got to get to Jerusalem. I gotta, you want to go to heaven? I got to get to Jerusalem. Stop talking to me. I got to go. You're going to hell if I don't get to Jerusalem. That's not Jesus. He slowed it down. He didn't hurry. He didn't run. He walked, and he allowed himself to be interrupted by this guy and this guy and this girl and this girl and this kid because he saw them all as valuable, all as valuable, and he invested in the interruptions. And so if we're going to have refreshment that gives us peace, that powers our prayers, that helps us fulfill our purpose, if we're going to have refreshment, we need rest in sleep and in pace of our lives, which may take some intentional effort to really think about it. We can't, by default, find lives of, of, of rest and refreshment. It's going to take effort. It's going to take mental thinking of how to plan and how to structure, because if you just walk around by default, default is just to hurry and to stay up late and to, and to do all kinds of things and, and never to, to do fulfill your purpose. You can only fulfill your purpose on purpose. You know what the, the CEO of Netflix said is their main competitor? It's not Amazon, it's not Disney Plus, it's not Hulu, it's not cable TV. He said that the direct competitor to Netflix is sleep. I couldn't believe he said it. He says sleep. That's why we have the next episode pop up five seconds later. Because we want you to keep going, stay hooked, get you in there, stay where you're at. Sleep. Sleep and pace will bring rest. Number two, step to refreshment. Togetherness. Togetherness. You see it right there in the passage. 
Paul says to be refreshed in your company. In your company. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to be refreshed in people's company. People are draining. People are vampires. They suck the life right out of me. And I, I'm already thinking, anticipating this week, come Thursday and we eat that meal and I go home at the end, I'm not going to be exhausted and exploding because of all the food I put in. I am because of the people I'm sitting around the table with. It, it's already stressing me out now. I can't handle it. I don't want to be together. With, I can't, together? No. But it's Paul's own words. He's going to be refreshed in your company. Because there's, there's two different kinds of, of people when it comes to this concept of refreshment together. Is you can have people that you're simply together with, physically, presence, together. And then there's people that you're together, together with, physically and unified in purpose and cause. People who just, they're very present. They don't have to speak a word. You just look at their face and you get encouraged. Anybody know somebody like that? Yeah. You just see them, you're like, oh man, I feel, I feel good. I was tired now. I'm, I'm, blood's pumping. I'm ready to go. But the, a lot of people that we tend to focus on in our brain, it may be people who don't even have a large you know, section of our time, but a lot of times we focus more on the negative than the positive. But we tend to think about those people, the people we're simply together with, not the ones that we're together, together with. And so when Paul says, I'm, I want to be restored in your company, I want to be refreshed in your company, he's talking about people he knows who will lift him up and encourage him, that he's asking for, striving in prayer with. And so if we're going to find refreshment, it must, it must first be through rest and sleep and pace, but then it also must be with other people, with other people. And that's going to take some effort from some of us who say, well, if I'm going to be refreshed in the presence of somebody, I know this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, I, I cannot be around because they're going to take it right out of me. I mean, that, any, any refreshment God gives me from sleep, they're going to suck it right out the second I walk in the room. Okay, well, find your person. Find your people. Find your people. But also be conscious of the fact that it's not all about you, maybe you need to be somebody else's people. Maybe you need to be somebody. Don't be somebody else's vampire sucking the life out of them. You be their people and you infuse life into them through your words, through your prayer, through your presence. And we, the life of Job, right? His friends came, just their presence that first week was encouraging to Job. And then they, they started talking, and they screwed everything up. Sometimes all you need to be is just there. You don't have to say everything that pops into your head. Because stuff that pops into your head is going to mess it up. Just be there. Just allow the awkward silence to float and just be present. Because sometimes, especially in times, and I've been in rooms when things are terrible, when, when some of the worst experiences in some people's lives and being a, a minister, you, you, they call you and you're there, they're not going to remember what you say. They're not. They're going to remember if you're there or not. So just be there. Just be there. Be together, together. And so Paul says, this is how refreshment comes. Through rest, sleep, and pace. Through togetherness. And then finally, foundationally, most importantly, Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus, watching the football game this afternoon isn't going to bring you refreshment. If anything, it's going to raise your blood pressure. I can testify. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. It's going to raise, you're going to get frustrated calling for the head of the coach at the end of every game. Refreshment comes from Jesus. Just as we talked about a minute ago, scripture and prayer, prayer including listening. Prayer is not a monologue of you just spouting what you say to God. Prayer is a conversation you're having with the Lord. Him speaking, you speaking, conversating there, recognizing his voice. Scripture and prayer. And, and, and that may take some effort as well on your part. This past year, I've done a lot of experimenting with my own time with Jesus. You know, being taught as a little kid, take a, take a moment in the morning, carve it out, read a little scripture, say a little prayer, go about your day, you're good to go. You can check the check mark on your offering envelope, and you're good, man. Some of you don't know what that is. Back in the day, we had offering envelopes as kids we would bring to church with we put a dime in there whatever but on the front it had little check marks if you i read my bible i i prayed i brought a friend to church and all this you might remember that okay well we would have those and so you would do it just to do the little check and not really to you know better yourself uh and and so we do that even now mentally even in the in the bible app right you get the little check mark and then the little screen pops up and says congratulations you you did great today you read your bible man i feel good the bible app people are telling me i did good i'm all right but if it has no application in changing and, and, and you know, adjusting my life, then, then it's not doing good. And so what I've had to do in my own life, and you can, uh, you can apply this to you if you want. You can do it or not do it. But I, I noticed a lot of times that in taking one big scriptural meal at the beginning of the day, by midday, by the end of the day, I couldn't really understand or, or remember a lot that I had been through. I mean, if I really sat down and focused, I could think, okay, well, I was in uh, Leviticus 13. What happened in Leviticus 13? Uh, it's not there. It left me. I know, I know some of you can remember Leviticus 13. I can't right now off the top of my head. Uh, and so what I started doing is, is taking my Bible reading plan and chopping it up into bite-sized chunks that I would digest throughout the day. I would, instead of taking one giant meal and, and, you know, reading all of this that's on my Bible reading plan in the morning and then sitting down and praying for however long in the morning, I do it throughout the day. And I'll read a little bit here, and, and at that time when I read that chapter, I'll, I'll pray over this. And then I'll read, you know, a couple hours later, get a moment, I'll read this chapter, and I'll pray over this. And a couple hours later, I'll read this chapter, and I'll pray over this. Uh, whether it's stuff going on in the church or it's somebody who's sick or it's family. Uh, and, and I do this throughout the day. And what I've discovered, at least for me, you've got to discover what, what, what's good for you. I mean, just like exercise. Some exercises work for some people that don't work for others. Some diet plans work for some people that don't work for others. It's the same with somebody's own spiritual life. You know, if it, this may not work for you at all. But I found, at least in the last few months, this has worked for me, is that when I do this, God's word permeates my life throughout the day more than it did the other uh, way that I used to do things. Not that the old way was, was, was bad, but just in this season of life, this has more impact now, right now, that I desperately need it. And so that's what I do right now, is I'll read a little scripture and, and, and pray right in the morning, and then a little bit later, I'll do it again, 
and, I, and there'll be some more time later, and, and I'll hit, you know, five minutes, and I'll read some scripture, and I'll pray over this later on, and it's made a dynamic impact in me um, lately. And so spending time with Jesus, and you may have to rethink, like I had to rethink how to spend time with Jesus in a way that was impactful for the season I was in. So refreshment comes through those three principles, those three pillars, rest, sleep, and pace, togetherness with other people, together, together, and Jesus through scripture and prayer. And so you have to ask yourself then, if you're willing to try to find refreshment, I mean, who doesn't want to be refreshed, right? Who doesn't want it? But to, 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 to acquire it will take some effort. And so you must ask, what would it take to actively rearrange my daily life around those three principles to acquire refreshment? And so what I'm asking you, if you're willing, experiment for the next seven days. Experiment. Just try and experiment. Doesn't work? Toss it. That's what an experiment's all about. Experiment for the next seven days. See if, you not, see if you're not refreshed come Saturday if you start this today. This isn't something I'm asking you to do for 30 days, 90 days. Just try it for seven. And Thanksgiving this, is this week, right? It's, it's like a freebie day on Thursday. Just try it for seven days. Just try to find how much sleep do you need in the next seven days. Okay, well, that means that I've got to be up by this time to get to work, to, to uh, get the kids ready, so I've got, to, I've got to be awake by this time. And so you just backtrack that. So that means to get seven hours, eight hours of sleep, that means I've got to be asleep by this time. But it takes me a little bit to go to sleep. or you know, I like to watch a little TV, so I need to be in bed maybe an hour before that time so I can be asleep by that time. So that means I've got to be in bed by X time. And just try it. Just try it. There was a song on an old TV show we used to watch with the kids talking about food, but you can apply it to your spiritual life. Try it, try it. You just might like it. You, you try it and just see. Just see what happens. Just experiment a little bit. Try it with your sleep. Try it with your daily pace. Try it with, with who you're together with. Make an intentional effort to reach out to those people who will infuse you with life through text, through, through phone calls, through social media. Reach out to those people and see them pour into you, but also be that to somebody else. And then spend time with Jesus. Dedicate that time for the next seven days. Say, I'm going to you know, go back to the drawing board and shuffle up my, my, my spiritual life, my, my time with Jesus, because it's been stagnant, and that's on me, not him. And so I'm going to try this other thing and see what happens. Seven days, seven-day trial period. We give seven-day trial periods to streaming services. Why don't we do it to Jesus? Try it for seven days and see what happens. Just seven. Seven. And see if you're not refreshed come Saturday. And imagine with me for a second if all of you guys came back next week and we walk in those doors and everybody's refreshed. What kind of worship are we going to have then? We're not coming in here half asleep with eye boogers hanging out our hair, you know, askew in the back because we can't see it. And we're so exhausted. We're falling asleep during, you know, uh, another in the fire or victory in Jesus. And, and we're missing out on what God's got for us. Come in refreshed. Maybe you need to experience that peace and refreshment today for the very first time. You've never had it. Never. Then you, you need Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Believe that he is God's son 
that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he, he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And if you believe that, you gain heaven. You don't have to pay an entry fee. You don't have to say special words. You don't, you don't have to live a certain way. You will want to as the more you get to know Jesus. But that's not what you have to do to get in. To get in, all you got to do is believe. Believe. That's it. That's it. Every Christian who's ever existed started with that belief. Right there. Will you believe in Jesus today? And then, having believed in Jesus, will you work towards refreshment?